0: Hey guys, it's your host Shane with another exciting episode of Radical Rocks. We're going to talk about Painstone, we're going to talk about Entanglios, a rare 2,000 year old gem found in a drain, and so much more. On the first part of the journey, I was looking at Radical Rocks. There were fossils, minerals, and rocks and things. There were sand and hills and rings Radical rocks are everywhere, and today we're going to talk about a bunch of them. Have you ever heard of Coahith Cave Onyx? That's pretty neat. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about maybe cutting it, things like that. Um, Pain stone, this is uh, the second rarest stone. We're also going to talk about the rarest stone. We are going to talk about the... Uh, cestarian crystals we're going to talk about siderite, gold mines and so much more so let's uh let's get right into it but before we do i want to thank everybody for subscribing i had a big boost in subscribers for the podcast no matter uh what application you're listening to whether it be on apple or uh spotify or what have you we're getting a lot uh, I want to thank the people who interact with us on our social media. I've gotten several posts on YouTube. I've gotten a few posts on Facebook, and people have reached out to me with questions and things like that. Um, I've been able to get back pretty quickly, so I appreciate, uh, appreciate that. I do try to get back to those as quickly as possible. So you can find us on Radical Rocks. Um, sometimes it's Radical Rocks USA But uh, we do have a blog, which is Radical Rocks USA at Blogspot. I haven't posted anything lately, but there's some useful guides and charts there if you want to download something for a hardness test or for just basic cabochon making, things like that. Our videos are Radical Rocks at YouTube. You can look up a lot of, um, there's 52 different videos there of trips, uh, silversmithing and other adventures that we've had over the last few years. And then, of course, we have almost 200 episodes of Radical Rocks podcasts, which you can go through um, and check out if you want. I always look forward to anyone who has ideas for the show. That's a uh, very much welcome. And plus, that way you get to decide what, what you would hear or what you don't like so that I can try to improve it. Also, we have a big presence on MeWe. Uh, just look up Radical Rocks and we'll pop up. Maybe it's Radical Rocks USA, if, if it doesn't pop up. You'll, you'll see our, uh, you'll usually see our agate that we have. It's a brown agate with uh, black banding and, and uh, clear to white crystals inside. That's a, uh, one of my favorite, it's my favorite agate that my mom actually gave me a long time ago. And that's kind of my, my show logo. So you can see us at MeWe or Facebook. Uh, we have a group there. So you're welcome to join the Radical Rocks group. So let's get into it, because, man, we've got a ton. I got a ton of stuff, a rock ton. Gold mining stories this time. I did not leave those who enjoy the gold mining stories out of the loop. A lot more subjects than what I've already talked about. Turquoise, if you want to hear about turquoise. I haven't talked about turquoise much lately. Um, But I'm thinking, you know, maybe doing something in-depth on turquoise. It's a little gem that holds big stories. And you can find out more about this at the Gunnisonstimes.com. And Anna Coburn tells us about turquoise and that it is a stone of the Southwest, but it's also a stone of the Middle East, of that area. Very goes back to Persia uh, and and India, uh, or Persia and um, Iran. Also as well, lots of great turquoise history there. China, they love turquoise as well. So a lot of great history there. It's a little blue gem that's very charming and alluring. And it is because um, there's just not a lot of it. And uh, it's very a comforting color. It usually comes from superheated volcanic sulfites uh, that turn rock into copper ore and the pressure in these, where these tectonic plates were colliding created this uh, subduction zones, they call it, where these, some plates are actually diving down, which causes this volcanic uh, activity, and then that sulfuric superheated uh, elements and, and water and minerals come up and infuse these minerals into the rock, creating copper ore. The mineral-rich groundwater percolates through the cracks, carrying aluminum and zinc. And then with copper, boom, you've got it. The more zinc, the more greenish um, or blue, the less uh, zinc typically you get. And then the webbing can be the other rocks and minerals that are there. And within uh, a few millennials or however long it's been down there, boom, you've got turquoise. Turquoise mines are... Located, like we said, in Iran, Egypt, China, southwestern United States. And these early civilizations loved it. They all felt that this brought great things to the wearer. Egyptians considered turquoise sacred and buried pharaohs in it. We know in uh, South America and the Aztec uh, temples, where they found these burial masts that were made with turquoise had been brought in some of it all the way from uh, the southwest. United States area. Uh, Turkish leaders introduced this gemstone to Europe and therefore it got its name, um, which came to mean Turkish stone, even though turquoise came from all over turquoise and all over the place. Now, Native Americans like the Zuni, the Hopi, and the Navajo, they treasure turquoise because it embodies healing, protection, prosperity, and happiness. According to Navajo traditional teachings, turquoise uh, is a reminder of the, sec, the the blue or second world, the realm of which first man and first woman observe blue feathered birds, insects, and animals. So some interesting history for you. The majority of turquoise in the U.S. comes from Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico. Colorado has some. There's even a little bit found in uh, Idaho and other areas. Um, in the 1970s, there was a booming time for turquoise. The Native American uh, traditions are being embraced widely by Americans. Everybody had a, all of a sudden had a great, great grandma that was uh, part Native American or something. When you listen to the stories, by the 1990s, the turquoise mines, most of them closed. And that's because um, they mined all the easy turquoise out to some extent, and also a lot of turquoise was flooded into the market from China the last full-time production turquoise mine this article claims is the kingman turquoise mine in arizona but there are others there's actually others um, that do produce a little bit of turquoise but i would say the kingman's probably the largest of them so every different area has different characteristics um they say some turquoise can vary to white it's not really a true turquoise but uh yeah, they call that buffalo turquoise. It's a trade name. So, And there's a lot of fake stuff that comes out there. So um, we will go into some uh, more in-depth uh, turquoise at a later time. But that article was there, and I thought I would share that with you. Four dragons that have entered the fossil records. Um, Stephen C. George tells us at discovermagazine.com all about these dragons. And um, some of these things are just crazy you remember the pterodactyls the giant uh bird creatures that would fly over the oceans and and eat fish they had uh long little sharp teeth well they found another uh i remember reading about this uh or whatever it is called it's it looks more like a dragon its mouth has these ferociously long teeth was a newer discovery about maybe a year or two ago and um there's pictures of it floating all around that really look cool. It looks like a flying dragon um, with longer wings than what you typically see in the movies. But uh, Argentina's Dragon of Death, that uh, is one of them. And uh, it is a more humble-looking dragon that has uh, these uh, fingers on the end of its where its wing bends. And these are pedosaurs, petis- uh, uh, pterodactyls. And they are the biggest pterosaur ever found in South America, uncovered in Argentina, had a wingspan of roughly 30 feet, about the size of a hang glider. Now, Australia, not to be outdone, they're the ones that have the Australian spear or mouthed dragon. This is the one with the ferocious teeth, um, just vicious as can be. This was apparently was discovered in 2021, so I guess two years ago. And uh, they called it, where they found it, the House of the Dragon. This petasaur holds pride as uh, it is the largest flying reptile yet to ever be discovered in Australia. Quite impressive creature. And um, they say here, I forget how long it is, but I think it got uh, about 30 feet long wingspan, if, if memory serves me correctly. It is on display at the Queensland Museum. They don't say how big that particular one is. Now, another creature that they call a dragon, this one's not a flying one, but it was found in China in 2018, but its head does uh, look pretty ferocious. It has these uh, little, it almost looks like little horns in the picture. Uh, They call it the Ling Wulong Xinhua, and I might be saying that wrong. The last, I think I got the first part right, but the Xinhua, Qua it, or quay, it's it's QI. So I'm not really sure how you pronounce QI. Shenqi, the biggest of the letdown dinosaurs on the list. It says um, huge monster. It had uh, a horned head. It wasn't even a meat eater. So I guess he wasn't uh, that ferocious. He was a herbiv- herbivore, and it means amazing dragon. That's the translation of the name. And the discovery was unexpected and uh, they don't tell us too much about the size on this, but it is pretty cool. Then finally, the fourth one. This one was found in the U.S. in 2004. The skeleton of this head is horrifying. This thing looks like the most wickedest dragon you ever saw in your life. Um, Dropped Corex hogwartis. <laughs> yeah, hogwartis. Not, not too flattering. This is the most dragon like creature and dragonsome fossil of the list. It was found in South Dakota in a Hell Creek formation. It is one of the most famous and productive fossil areas in the world. Uh, this almost complete skull has horn like spikes in an unusual configuration for this dinosaur. Um, and the name of it, I'm not even sure what the, how the heck you say that, but it looks like Pachyliosaurus. It was dubbed a total paleontologist surprise um, by famous authority Robert Baker as the skull presents a fierce aspect indeed of any one of these type of predators. Um, it says... Um, they put it at the Children's Museum of Indianapolis, so if you want to see it there, they've got it there. And uh, you can see the specimen there, and the name, Dracortix Hogwarts means Dragon King of Hogwarts. So if you're a Harry Potter fan, you should appreciate that. All right, next. Let's talk, let's get right into one of the wonderful gemstones that we have to talk about, the Heath Cave Onyx. Coaheef Cave Onyx, as you can imagine, Cave Onyx would be from a cave. Stalactites hold tight on the top, stalagmites hold tight on the bottom, right? These would be rings dripping and dripping, creating these stalactite formations which created this Cave Onyx. With these uh, rings, ring inside of a ring, it's kind of a white to brown, kind of a honey uh, color, Some people call it cave popcorn. It's found in the Coaheeve Cavern in Southern California. It can be made into beautiful cabochons, pretty easy to work with since this is uh, of a calcite and oregonite consistency. Uh, We've talked about it before. You can talk to the Bullhead City Rock Club. Um, There's a president there, his name's Ralph, and he will give you information if you want to look it up, Bullhead City Rock Club. He can tell you about it. Uh, Many of the clubs in Southern California will do uh, trips out there. The Orange Belt Mineralogical Society in San Bernardino, California, they do trips. I'm sure the Victor Valley Gym and Mineral up in the high desert of Southern California does uh, gym trips out there. Our friends at uh, the Searchers in Anaheim, they've done trips out there. So look at that. Um, you can find it online for sale if you don't want to, uh, you know, I have some. It's very nice, easy to work with. Um, you can cut it quickly. You can get some beautiful flowing patterns. Now a lot of times there'll be a whole clump of these bitrules together. So if you get down in the middle of them, you might have several orbs on one piece. okay? Sometimes the orbs are bigger, sometimes the orbs are smaller. But you want to find the solid pieces if you're going to on them. Um, Otherwise, you're going to have to utilize some sort of a hardening technique. I think I've uh, tooted my own horn on hardening technique. I've got two videos on YouTube on how to harden. One you can do just with uh, an oven or a light. Uh, One you can do with a vacuum chamber and um, both of them work out pretty good and will help you to be able to uh, firm up something that is crumbling or cracked if you want to look at that, that's on YouTube. But they have one here that is a beautiful heart that they have uh, carved and it has one, two, three, it has about three bitrudels and then two humps of bitrudels at the bottom and then a couple little orange uh, fortification little spots that have a little bit of druzy pit in them, which is real beautiful and that's special if you can find that, real hard to carve, um, uh, teardrops, uh, or not teardrops, hearts. It's very hard to to cabochon out hearts, in my humble opinion. But it can be done, I've done it, and you can do it too. So this stone, like I said, it is a white with a brown to a honey, uh, a honey brown or a honey colored, dark honey colored. And sometimes you might even look out and get these little blotches of this uh, kind of an orangish honey Druzy little uh, little cavity, little tiny cavity, pretty cool. So easy to work with. You will want to uh, not get too aggressive with this stone, or it can you know it can chip and fall apart. So take your time with it because it's going to cut quick. Use the smaller grits. You know you don't need uh, eighty grit to work with this stuff. Hundred grit for shaping is more than enough. Um, you as soon as you get it shaped, you're going to drop right down. Uh, to a 220 grit or so and then go to a four to a six. And then you might want to polish this off with either a polishing compound or if you have uh, very nice diamond wheels that go to a thousand uh, or, or higher uh, low, you know very, very fine grits, then definitely uh, polish them up with that. And that will look very good. Russ. Ken Youth is the co-founder. Uh, He's the owner of Sunset Ridge Lapidary Arts and the co-founder of the Cabs and Slabs Facebook group. And you can go see his work. He's the author of this at sunsetridgelapidary.com. sunsetridgelapidary.com. Give him full credit for um, this article and everything and uh, check it out. Again, our friends at... uh, Rockin' Jim, they send me emails, and I just look at the links. It's all online. It's all free if you want to check that out. I definitely recommend subscribing to the magazine. All right, let me grab a quick swig of coffee, and we're going to talk about the Tucson Gem and Mineral Fossil Showcase of 2023 really briefly before we get into some more exciting stories. All right, go to K Gun 9 the number nine, and you'll find out everything you need to know about the Tucson Gem and Mineral Fossil Showcase in 2023. It runs Saturday, January 28th to February 12th, so there's still time to get there. Uh, Caleb Fernandez tells us all about it. Um, He's got some videos here you can check out. Uh, He talks about the 1801 Oracle Mineral Gem and Fossil Show, The Sun Sun Gemstone Company sponsors this show, and it is Wednesday the 25th through February the 12th, and they've got directions to where it is, all kinds of showcases, fossils, gemstones, crystals, rocks from all all over the world. Uh, There's also the 22nd Street Mineral and Fossil Gem Show. They expect 50,000 guests. This is January 26th to February 12th. They've got directions. They got the Kino Gym and Mineral Show. This is next to the Kino Sports Complex. Variety of gyms, minerals, fossils, jewelry, everything else. Kind of the same uh, time span there. Tucson Gym and Mineral Show, if you want to go out there, that's going to be February 9th to February 12th. Does cost um, up to $12. Bucks. Uh, kids under 14 are free with a paying adult. That's a huge show. It's been going on since the 70s. They've got a link to their show guide there. You might want to check that out. All kinds of great shows. Definitely go to the powwow if you go to quartzite. That is real rock hounds. A lot of my friends have been going there for years, and they have uh, have brought their rocks that they've collected. Some of them have their own mines, so these are very specialized. You're only gonna get them there. And you're only gonna get them from those people, mine direct. So check that out. People come from all over the world to sell rocks and gems in Arizona at quartzite. Every year. Quartzite and Tucson are two gym shows that should be on your bucket list. Ice Age Relic Found by Alberta Woman Out Walking Her Dog. So that's what you call giving the dog a bone. This bone is huge. There is a video here at ctvnews.ca. You can read all about that. Adam LaChouse tells us about it. And he has pictures of it here. She just happened to be walking along, and there was a bone there, and it was at the riverbank, and she thought, wow, this looks kind of interesting. It actually is a scapula from an adult mammoth, and uh, she had been there earlier, and there was nothing there, but all of a sudden, it just popped out, and there it was. She thought it was wood, so uh, she dug it up and checked it out, and sure enough, there it is, and now uh, the museum has it. And they are uh, are looking at it. So pretty cool, she said. Uh, it is. She's never found anything this exciting before. As a humanities teacher, not a science teacher, uh, she had been bringing rocks home for the flower bed, and uh, finally a jackpot. Um, <laughs> she looked at it. They said it's uh, you know many thousands of years old and um, they don't know what species it is yet, but uh, pretty cool. Found a couple things out there. Going to the museum. um, Let's see. Catherine Bramble, a RAM paleontologist, said the bone is believed to be a mammoth shoulder blade. Um, What museum? I don't see the museum here. Oh, Royal Alberta Museum staff. So there you go. She took it to the museum. So that they can study it and find out more about it. All right. One specimen. There's only one specimen of the rarest mineral on Earth. There's six thousand identified minerals, and this one is only known from this to be in this one sample. Um, Stefan Lutis tells us at iflscience.com all about this rarest mineral. What is it? Well, it's called Kothooite. Kothooite is, they have a picture of it here at the Natural History Museum of Los Angeles County in California, in America, and this is the rarest one ever. The International Mineralogical Association says this was formed by a multiple of processes quite different chemistry leading to identical outcomes as some other minerals led to this rare Kayathuite and it was found in Mernamar near Mogok and it is recognized in 2015. They had made a synthetic compound of it and thought that it would be somewhere in the universe. But uh, yeah, in 2015, they actually found it. It is a transparent reddish orange. It is a single specimen. It weighs 1.67 carats, which is about 0.3 grams. And it is, it has traces of tantalium. It has both bismuth and antimony, and it is a rare, rare, uh, extraordinarily rare mineral. There's more bismuth, in the earth's crust than there is gold, and antimony is more abundant than silver. But, so you can see how rare this is. It must be these combinations of these. Um, bismuth is a heavy element with the density of Kayathuite is more than eight times the density of water and double that of rubies that it slightly resembles. So the stone is even smaller than its weight would suggest. So it's very dense, it's a lot heavier than it looks like. Um, Caltech's mineral database describes the structure as having a checkerboard sheets of uh, aothedrial parallel atoms. And uh, very, it is only recognizable in bismuth atomony oxide, which is what it is named, uh, the name comes from Dr. Kayaw Thu formerly a geologist in Yangon University. It was found in a bed of a stream where sapphire hunters um, were looking and found this material. It was published in 2017. And Miramar is also the source of the second rarest mineral called painstone, which only a handful of them have been recorded. Um, the, uh, the, the rarity of the abundance of gemstones in Miramar is due to the abundance of pressure and heat that was produced when India collided with Asia. So there's so many gems in Miramar, in Miramar running, uh, and the two rarest minerals is not too surprising that they would show up in this area since it was uh, such so prolific for gemstones. And we'll talk about that pain stone a little bit later. 4,300-year-old mommy, or mummy, Covered in gold is among dazzling discoveries made at the Egyptian site, according to Tracy Harrington McCoy. She tells us at People.com, like People Magazine. She tells us all about it. Um, You can read this article if you want. They talk about this sarcophagus that was found. We actually talked about it before. It's a limestone sarcophagus, which sarcophagus means flesh eater. When they put them in this, they they were designed to... (laughs) to, to make the body disappear, but mummies were made to be preserved. So kind of, kind of, uh, uh, ironic, right? So anyway, um, they sealed it with mortar and it's been left there the whole time, 4,300 years. And, uh, it was found in the oldest part of the old kingdom tombs. And, um, it was found very close to another priest of a pyramid complex of Janus and Mary, who was the official in the royal palace, according to the statement. Another tomb was found that belonged to the priest, contained nine beautiful statues. The priest was likely named Messiai, so said Dr. Hawis, um, and he said a false door was found near the statues. And then they found this mummy Uh, coated in gold. They don't have any pictures of that yet. Um, They talk more about the discovery and more about these uh, amulets and stone vessels and tools and pottery and things like that were found. There's also a video here if you want to go check it out. People.com, 43,000 year old mummy covered in gold. Look that up if you want to find out more about it. Fossilized eggs reveal secrets about one of the world's largest dinosaurs. So we talked about this huge nest they found 92 different hatcheries in central India with some 250 eggs. A lot of these were some of the giant dinosaurs, we just talked about this last week, the titansauruses which could get up to 85 feet long, massive monstrous seropod dinosaurs, the, tit- the Titanosaurus. Now these eggs were found very, very closely together. So. What is the new thing that they learned? Well, they feel that during the end of the Cretaceous period, that these dinosaurs, because these eggs are so close together, they must have buried their eggs and then left. So that's what it looks like. Otherwise, if they were there taking care of their eggs and um, they, they would be further apart. So uh, it was they're just a little too close. They do feel that they're a communal uh, type of creature but just a little too close for them to all be um, you know, laying their eggs and nesting on them. So, very interesting. Um, they learn more and more all the time through x-raying these and different um, discoveries and things like that. Now, let's talk about a gold mine. The Nikkei property is a massive 77-acre load gold mining claim uh, that's staked out near the Nikkei fluorite mine the historic Nikkei mine produced as many as $20 million worth of fluoride prior uh, to World War II for flux and other scientific uses. By 1951, the mine had been large, largely abandoned and would have remained so if not for the copper deposits that is reported to sit under the fluoride. In the mid-1950s, the use of fluoride as a scientific tool was replaced by synthetics and the demand vanished nearly overnight. The Nikkei mine was left with thousands of tons of mine reserves in addition to 30,000 tons of mid-grain fluorite material. The fluorite at the Nikkei comes in a limited array of colors, greens from dark to opaque to a light luminescent mint hue. Blues and purples are common and range from deep violet color to a translucent aqua shade. There are some yellow colorations, but they are not as abundant as the greens and blues. There's a rough road up there, four by four. They look at the value at the fluorite because people do collect fluorite as a mineral. It does talk about cutting it for jewelry. I say it's too darn soft. I would not cut it for jewelry. Very popular as healing crystal. And uh, they say that uh, this is high grade and uh, can be sold at rock and gym shows, we'll see, maybe. It's uh, pretty nice, they have some samples here. The copper values can be seen at the lower level of the mining operation as well as placer gold deposits in the gulches below the mine. Placer gold has been recovered in many gulches in the area for years. However, recoveries are small and insignificant compared with the actual mining activities above. So it would take more Uh, work to find out what this copper deposit is, if it's really worth it. But uh, this is a very historic mine and um, it has not been maintained in over 70 years. And uh, you know you have to be very careful and know what you're doing to uh, take on a project like this. Large fluorite lenses where material can be cut from the walls is already stacked and awaiting shipment. There are audits, a good bit of development would be need. The largest is measured as 910 feet, cuts through several large fluorite deposits, and chases along a large body of multicolored fluorite. The face is a thick body of dark purple fluorite. So that is it for the Nikkei property. Um, not much gold there, but interesting history. Now, this is one I, I kind of hinted on. Entanglios uh, what are entanglios, and why did we find thousands-year-old gemstones of rare quality in a drain? How did that happen? This is an archaeological breakthrough as a 2,000-year-old Roman bather's gems were found in the Hadron's Wall. This is basically an old uh, bathhouse for Romans over 2,000 years old. If you go to express.co.uk, you can find out about this. Jacob Paul tells us all about it. There's many, many articles on this. This has been proliferating um, the uh, gem and mineral and people who love archaeology and stuff like that. These stunning entanglios are stunning carved Roman stones that were lost in an ancient pool They've been discovered in this Hadrian's Wall. Archaeologists found 30 semi-precious stones that are believed to be about 2,000 years ago. These stones dropped out of their rings. The glue, they said, likely was weakened in these steamy baths. I actually went to uh, Israel, and in this one area where the Romans had built a bathhouse, You can see how they built this, and below they would keep um, wood burning underneath, and then they had built a, um, put bigger stones above. These pillars would hold up these big stones, and these slaves would be forced to keep these fires going down there. It was horrible conditions. Uh, They didn't live very long, and uh, they had to keep it hot down there. But there was also a drain in this, and they made actual formed drains of uh, a clay-type material so that they could uh, clean this out and put fresh water in and such. So, when uh, when these Romans were there, sometimes this glue, their their settings would loosen up and the glue would let loose from the steam in these hot saunas and baths. And these were not just gemstones, uh, beautiful gemstones, they were engraved. They're called entanglios, They bear images of spectacular craftsmanship. It indicates they would have been highly valuable even back then in the second and third century. And here they've been found um, just behind the famous Hadrian's Wall in Carlisle. And this is the World Heritage Site stretching 73 miles from sea to sea across some of England's finest countryside um, a a, expert in Roman Britain uh, history, Frank Geico is what it looks like. He was excavating this and he is one that found a lot of this. He was stunned. He said it's incredible um, that these people were just losing these beautiful gems way back then. Now some of them are a green with purple. Um, this is uh, amethyst within some sort of green stone. There's citrine. Uh, some of them are made from garnets. They weren't very big. Uh, some of them were as small as only a few millimeters big, but uh, really cool. If you want to see something cool for from ancient history, check this out. Check out these rare gemstones, orange, red, yellow, and then the one that's purple and green. They not only found that... Um, They said, one of the Roman bathers lost a beautiful amethyst depicting Venus holding on to what could be either a flower or a mirror. Very valuable. You do not find gems on low-status Roman sites. So they're thinking that some of the more important Roman uh, emperors were there and that they might be able to find that, uh, even more stuff about that the article goes on I don't want to tell you all about it but and kill the guy's uh, thunder but it is a pretty cool article and it says they were very small from five millimeters the largest one was about 16 millimeters. they found about 40 women's hairpins, 35 glass beads um, and other artifacts that were lost so pretty cool Next. Um, We talked about Mississippi opals. These are opals that formed in sandstone, and it is becoming uh, very close to being Mississippi's first official gemstone at WLBT.com for uh, the Channel 3 WLBT. You can see the article there from Anthony Warren, and he tells us uh, that it looks like this is going to happen. And uh, there is an official Mississippi Department of Environmental Quality website where they are talking about considering this as the state gemstone and the different reasons why. Got a picture of the, uh, them displaying this at the Capitol. So let's hope that happens pretty quickly. And uh, I don't see a date here as to when that's going to happen, but this is something that is being presented. They've got a map here of uh, where these things are found. If you want to check that out all right okay so it's slated let's see find out more about mississippi opal and efforts to make the state gemstone the upcoming at the upcoming mississippi Gem and mineral society 64th show slated for february the 25th and 26th at the mississippi trademark so there you go if you want to find out about that get the information now this mineral um spessartine spessartine or spessartine is a member of the garnet group i saw somebody sent me uh, christine's minerals sent me an email they had a specimen from uh, i think nambia for sale and it made me think about well what is this uh spessartine what is it or sartine it is a relative of um, basically a garnet. It is a magnanese aluminum silicate or silicate and magnanese is replaced by some magnesium and iron. This gives it an orange brown, brownish red, dark red to pink, some uh, yellowish brown, yellow gray, black, and sometimes multicolored red and black. The most popular and famous ones are going to be a beautiful orange color. Uh, It can be kind of brittle Uh, Garnets sometimes are like that because they are metamorphic. So uh, it just depends on how good of quality you got and how far it uh, is in its deterioration. If you go to minerals.net, you can look up the mineral spessartine and find out more about it. They've got the hardness. They've got uh, all of the different um, uh, varieties of it and uh, where it can be found. Noteworthy localities uh, here is uh, all over the world. It was first brought to market in 2008 from Tanzania, Tanzania, um, but it's also orange crystals come from Nambia. That's where some of the really spectacular crystals come from and other uh, African locations such as Nigeria, and uh, such, you can find these beautiful red, uh, orangish colors. Also, some has been found in China, where it was recently discovered, and uh, there are some of those making it to market as well. They can be a little coaty, uh, a little uh, smoky uh, coated, uh, and they can be very dark red occasionally, too. So, Pakistan has one that is associated with contrasting white albite um, with it it is a darker red color in the Shigar Valley in the Shikurdu district and other districts if you want to look that up go check it out it's pretty cool all right how about another gold mine story the Cherry Gulch gold mine we'll talk about after that we'll talk about Painite and siderite so uh, prospector Jeff tells us about his uh, Gold mine that he has. He tells us some of the history. He has it for sale on eBay. Um, you can go check him out on eBay. Um, his link is... What is it? Prospector Jeff. That's all I know. Prospector Jeff. You can email him at jeff at com. and it's not the number four. It's F-O-R for sale.com so Jeff, uh, Jeff at GoldMinesForSale.com. You can check it out. Um, Cherry Mine is for sale on eBay. Uh, May have already been listed, I believe. Um, it is the Cherry Gulch is in the Granite District, which is just south of Cherry Creek District in the hottest plays of Nevada, according to this article in 2011. A junior company, exploration company, AUX Ventures, made a massive gold discovery of 1.5 million ounces in a district that wasn't supposed to have big gold, northeast Nevada in the Paciopa Mountains. The deposit was called Long Canyon and Newmont. It later brought this project over $2 billion, so says this article. Ever since Long Canyon... Northeast Nevada has been crawling with junior miners looking for the next long canyon. Cherry Creek has attracted interest from both junior and large international mining companies. There's been rumors of another long canyon dis- style discovery here. Who knows? Cherry Creek in the northern part of Granite District where this claim is was discovered during the Civil War by soldiers. Um I guess even in time of war, you're always looking out for something shiny, right? Mark Twain did the same thing. He went to Nevada to become a prospector from 1861 to 1864. His brother, Orion, was Lincoln campaign manager in Iowa and was able to get him appointed as Secretary of the Nevada Territory, which was a pretty good job to have. When you read history, you can read that they put a stamp mill at Cherry Creek. Um but we don't know how significant it was. There is a picture of the Cherry Stamp Creek Mill in my email um, that I got from him. And it looks pretty substantial. It looks like it has a shack of about four stories high uh, where the carts would be rolled into. And then down the hill, this building keeps sloping down. So really it's like one, two, three, four, five, might be five or six stories, but built on a hillside so that they could process this material through the mill and then down into the processing. All right, so, um, next, Uh, you can see that it was quite a build. The mines, early mines, average about an ounce per ton of gold. Stringers and veins uh, were all over in this area. Cherry Gulch, this claim has large shaft and tailings Uh, earmarks of a high-grade vein operation, potentially. Um, But there's not a ton of pictures of this particular one, but I'm sure you could look up more on it. And he is selling that. He says he metal-detected the walls and ore uh, and found nice nuggets, probably little plinkers or something, probably some nice hot uh, ore and mines uh, minerals there to be found. So that claim is for sale. That's probably a great area to go prospect if you want. Ciderite. siderite is a mineral that I saw that was occurring with another mineral, and I'm like, well, what is siderite, right? Um, S-I-D-E-R-I-T-E. If you go to mineralexpert.org, uh, Vic uh, Ridgely tells us all about it. He says this is an iron ore... And um, it has economical value because of its high iron content and the absence of contaminants such as sulfur or phosphorus. Um, it can be found with other things. It forms in two types of crystals. Uh, one is more of kind of a cubicle occur and the other is a rhombohedral crystal. So one's more like a square um, and one is more kind of like a, uh, a cubed globe, basically, or sphere for lack of, uh, just try to give you a visual to think of. And then there's combinations of the two in one. So it's often present in hydrothermal veins. It forms nice crystals and clusters. um, Very attractive for mineral collectors, depending on where you get it. And uh, uh, in 1845, uh, Carl von Heindinger was credited with it. It came from the Greek word for iron, uh, sideros, so ciderite has been been known for quite a while. Um, They have a picture of it here, it looks like little platelets, so this would look good with some sort of a crystal attached to it, Uh, would look quite nice and be beautiful to look at and to have. It can pseudomorph uh, with fossilized plant or animal materials with sediments. It can be uh, grainy, radial, nodular, stylistic, boitroidal, massive, and uh, be found in a whole variety of formations. Also, the cubicle type uh, is another way when it has inclusions of manganese. Siderite can be very rarely transparent, but most samples are translucent or opaque um, when they are variegated with yellows and greens and shades of brown. Uh, black varieties are attributed, again, to the magnes. Similar minerals. siderite is quite similar to other carbonites. Unlike calcite, it doesn't fizz in diluted hydrochloric acid. Calcite is rarely brown, and it is much lighter than siderite. Dolomite and mag- magnesite are mostly pale, too, and also much lighter than siderite. Anchorite. Is usually pale but turns brown or brown black when exposed to air. Slightly weathered anchorite crystals or crystalline aggregates can look exactly like sartorite but mostly are very pale or white inside. Uh, rhodochrosite is mostly pink but unfortunately brown varieties also exist. Smithsonite rarely forms nice crystallites but some petroidal masses can be colored gray or brown. Sometimes it's not possible to distinguish siderite from anchorite, uh, rhodochrosite, smithonite, or other minerals without an advanced uh, analytical method being utilized. The origin, again, uh, we talked about um, it can be found in some alpine-type veins. It can be found in pigmatites. So there you have it. Pegmatites always have... Well, not always. Pegmatites are where you find many crystals such as uh, burls, um, topaz, um, different things like that, smoky quartz, things like that. So it is really cool when it is on a mineral specimen with crystals formed within it. It can be very beautiful. So this is something... You might want to look at. Um, they have a sample here where it is siderite is crystallized with a quartz um, scepter uh, coming out, terminated quartz scepter. Not a very long septiment scepter, but also they have siderite here uh, with a pigmentation that is quite beautiful. It is spades all over, um, little blades all over. And has a purple stone there, which is fluorite. Fluorite crystals look beautiful, set on top of siderite. Siderite occurrences: well, you're going to find this again. It is a hydrothermal type of specimen. Very prolific in Germany, Portugal, France, uh, the Turk mines, Romania, Czech, uh, Cornwall, England, all over the world. Sol- Slovakia. Greenland and other areas. You can find this in the Czech Republic um, with pyrite and other rare minerals can be found. It's quite beautiful when you have um, this forming with these other mineral crystals. Beautiful. This article is quite lengthy. I highly recommend you look it up. Mineralexpert.org Just look up, um, look up this uh, side right and check it out it is really cool lots of pictures here the article goes on and on and on russia another area where some beautiful samples are found africa uh, northern cape australia broken hill south wales china um, all over the world different varieties of this are found with other minerals associated with them quite spectacular it doesn't get the credit that the other minerals and crystals do, but it makes such a wonderful um, uh, brother for its sister gemstones to shine and to uh, be a blanket for them to lay on. Quite beautiful. Painite. Painite is the second most rarest mineral. Up until 2001, only three painite crystals were known to exist. Since then, some other discoveries have been made but facetable material material that can be faceted is very very rare you go to igs the gemstone society.org the international gemologist society um, and they will tell you about it the article there is by joel e arim he's a phd an fga international gem uh, society and he goes in some detail about this has got some beautiful pictures very rare it is red as any ruby you've ever seen and then some they've got a very small uh faceted one here that is uh, Panite, uh also called uh another name they have another name for it um the pain stone it is a very dark brownish red uh Mar-no-mar is uh, where it has been found we talked about that earlier But there's also some sample sizes. Uh, There's over a 1,000 crystals and fragments that have been recovered, but only two of them, uh, two or three of them, since 1957, have been able to be faceted. And even one of these that is kind of a square, emerald-type cut, uh, square corner, uh, painite, it shows beautiful deep red, brownish-orange colors, 0.75 carats. And uh, this is a hardness of 8. Very beautiful, but you can see all sorts of inclusions. It also brings out a lot of different colors, other colors, and uh, it has a lot of fractures, so you got to really be careful. They have one here that is done in a true emerald cut. It's quite beautiful, and then they have one that just looks like a piece of burl. It is all uh, fragmented and fractured all over and uh, weighs, uh, again, about three-quarters of a carat and measures 3.7 by 6.8 millimeters and they have pictures of it there. They talk about the identifying characteristics. Uh, It does show up with rubies when it does show up. It is in that pegmatite. Um, They have a large one here that is uh, about as long as your fingertip is wide with some beautiful rubies in a long kind of bent crystal formation. It uh, has a a refractive index that is different from rubies, so therefore it can be... uh, Identified some gems may have been cut and misidentified as rubies or garnets, but uh, they are different. And they found in uh, where was it? I think it was uh, London. They found uh, that they distinguished uh, that's where they discovered the spectrum, the absorption spectrum would be able to distinguish that from garnets or rubies. And uh, is this sample they have here? It is a deep red, glassy panite crystal surrounded by dozens of rubies, discovered sometime between 2000 and 2003, later identified, apparently. This came from, again, Magok, uh, Marimar, and uh, it is beautiful. There's no synthetics known of this type of stone. The first two panite specimens um, reside in the National History Museum of London. And uh, they're very resistant to scratching. They've got uh, some other pictures of some here that are oval-cut panite. So I guess there's more than two or three that have been faceted here. So check that out if you want, gymsociety.org. Just look up panite, value, price, and jewelry information, and uh, you can find out all about that. All right. I think I have given you everything I got, guys. I want to thank you for tuning in. Please. Hit the like and subscribe. Share this with your friends. We love all the subscribers. It helps us get the word out there. helps us grow. Until next time, remember, rockhounds don't die. They petrify.